In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about poop shoots, angry eyebrows, playing cards with a gingerbread man, and having a homicidal sourdough starter in our discussion of A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. (laughs) Angry eyebrows. Angry eyebrows on a poop shoot? Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're going to discuss A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just love us so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. I'm just showing off my new t-shirt now. It's a really good shirt. I am wearing a um, Gish shirt from several years ago. Nice. It says ass butt. It says ass butt, everyone. So Love it. Ming. If you don't have a t-shirt with the word ass on it, are you doing like You're not. That? You're really, really not. Yeah. You can get a one from the Redbubble shop, the Fictional Hangover Redbubble shop that says lovable ass You can. Bubble. You can get that shirt. It's a very good shirt. I like it. I own it. Because I am one. My husband owns it. It's a good shirt. Yeah. So. Let's go into background information and we might reassert our professionals no no because it it's also weird so i got this information from t kingfisher aka ursula vernon her real name Mm. or maybe another pseudonym uh i got this from the faqs from her webpage because there weren't a lot of interviews about this book there's not a i mean it's been out for a couple of years so you think there would be something about it but I know she wrote it as a, it's a pandemic book. I know she wrote it during the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So I just decided to pull something silly from her website. And that is what I did. And she was asked, where do you get your ideas? And she says, I wish I knew. Sometimes it's as easy as trying to combine two things that haven't been combined before. Lemons and antelope, say. Or mm. pangolins and stars. I love pangolins. Sometimes it just comes to me out of the blue and an idea drops fully formed into my brain and I have to go paint it or write it right this minute or else. Dub, dub, dub. I want something about pangolins and stars now. I love pangolins. I mean, maybe it exists. I'm going to have to Google it. Maybe. Maybe you'll find it. I will Google it later. Yes. I think that you should do that. Her website is really fun, though. It's uh, redwombatstudio.com. If anyone wants to take a look at it, she's got a lot of fun stuff there. Cool. And that seems fitting because her book was really fun, too. Yes, and it's part of our uh, book theme this month. Yes, it is. The Spiteful Baker. It's our last Spiteful Baker book of the month, I believe. Although we do have a Spiteful Chef coming up. Yes. And our description of this month does involve being in the kitchen and cooking something up. So it's not necessarily bakers that no, are doing things no. spitefully, even though it is called the spiteful baker. And It doesn't even have to involve food. It could be like witchcraft. Yes. 
Yes. So, anyway, do you have any initial thoughts about this book? <laughs> I really enjoyed this book. Like, I found it last year, and I may have suggested this book theme. Just to challenge. cover this book. It seems reasonable. Just I feel like we've done that before. Book. Yeah, it, that's a common common thread. It really us. is. Um, but I was really looking forward to it, and I was worried it wasn't going to live up to expectations. Yeah. Um, I've now listened and read it. I own the audiobook and the ebook, and will probably buy this for my mum for her birthday. So if you're listening, mum, stop listening and listen after your birthday next month. Thank you very much. You've just ruined our birthday <coughs> present, though. Ah, uh, it's fine. I think I already told her. I was no, okay. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, everyone knows that I would prefer lots more gritty things than what occurs in this book but it was really good it was fun I really enjoyed it and it's interesting because as I was starting to read it the director of my library ran into my office and asked me if I had ever read anything by T. Kingfisher before and I said I'm reading something right now so then I gave this one to her after I was finished with it and she really liked it too so excellent excellent All right, shall we dig in? Yes, because otherwise I'm just going to start like talking about it in a discussion kind of yeah, way. Yeah, no, we can't. We're not, you gotta, we're not you there gotta yet. you got to save that for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. What, 30 minutes? 28 <sighs> minutes? I don't know. 27 minutes and 32 seconds. Hashtag not guaranteed. <laughs> okay. I'm pulling that right over my ass butty. Good. I'm glad you added the Y to the end of it. That was good. There's a dead girl in the bakery! <gasps> 14-year-old Mona can be forgiven a yelp or two for stumbling upon the body, especially at four in the morning. But she wonders, why couldn't it have been zombie frogs? <laughs> Is that better? For her? I don't know if that's yes, better. Yes, she's 14. Zombie frogs are better than a dead body. I don't know. Luckily, Mona's Aunt Tabitha will know what to do because she can handle anything. Unluckily, Mona has to go through the kitchen where the dead body is and step over it. But that's what she's got to do to get her aunt. So she does. Looking down, Mona notices how shabbily the girl is dressed, especially her mismatched socks. Once past the body, Mona runs, yelling for her aunt. Aunt Tabitha is surprised, but seems to take the entire situation in stride. (laughs) Questionable. While Tabitha wakes her husband, Albert, to fetch the constabulary, Mona gets a tray of sweet buns ready for their arrival. As Mona bakes, her mind wanders to the dead girl and somehow arrives at the conclusion she was murdered. Murdered. Don't ask her why, she just knows that she was. Looking down, Mona discovers that her distraction caused her to overneed the door. So sticking her hands into it, Mona suggests it doesn't want to be tough. What suggestion? There is a fizzing feeling around her fingers and the door goes a little sticky. Then, well... 
I cannot read today again. When she came to live with Tabitha, Mona found she had a magical ability with flour and yeast. Willing them not to burn, Mona puts the buns in the oven. Now it's time to feed Bob his cup of flour. Bob is Mona's familiar. He's a sourdough starter that lives in a bucket in the basement, making happy bubbles. God, Bob, I love him so much. Bob was the first big magic that Mona performed. When she was 10 and she came to live with her aunt and uncle, Mona had been put in charge of Aunt Tabitha's sourdough starter and nearly killed it. When she stuck her hands in, Mona ordered it to live. And, um, it seemed to have, uh, supercharged it? (laughs) Now, Mona doesn't think that Bob can ever die. (laughs) He can even feed himself with the rodents in the basement. Look, just don't tell any of the customers what Bob eats. (laughs) It's... I'm so glad the health and safety laws in in this in this universe are, are, are so lax. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they would view eating rat bread very fondly. That's <laughs> mm, protein. Mm. Bob tolerates Aunt Tabitha, but Mona's uncle won't even go into the basement anymore. He claims that one time Bob hissed at him. <laughs> I want a bomb. I know, we do. <laughs> the constabulary arrive, look at the body while eating sweet buns, and call for the coroner. The coroner arrives and finishes the buns off. Regulars come to the bakery, staying to gossip despite there being nothing to purchase. They mention the disappearance of another magica. They weren't as good as Mona and only did little things like mending, but still, it's strange. At this, they look expectantly at Mona, who makes a gingerbread man dance a respectable hornpipe. <laughs> <laughs> Once the show is over, the gingerbread reverts back to a normal cookie and the customers leave. Then, Mona heads to the kitchen and is accused of murder. <laughs> Damn! Typical morning. All before 9am. <laughs> An imposing figure dressed in dark robes has arrived at the bakery. This is Inquisitor Oberon, and he is uninterested in sweet buns. Ugh, don't trust and him. he is wrong. His questions are more like accusations. A wizard conveniently finds the body at four in the morning with no motive to kill or any idea who the victim is. A likely story. <laughs> Despite Tabitha and the constable confirming that Mona is a baker and her magical affinity is for bread, the Inquisitor still wants her taken to the palace. The Duchess is concerned by the rash of wizard murders and is personally overseeing the investigation. Mona is pushed into a coach and taken away. The ride to the Duchess's place on the hill is intolerable. The constable with them looks awfully embarrassed by the entire situation, and the Inquisitor is treating Mona like she is a dangerous, hardened criminal rather than a 14-year-old baker who makes gingerbread (laughs) dice. Come on, dude. On arrival, Inquisitor Auburn orders the underlings to bring the prisoner and takes a few moments for Mona to realise he means her. (laughs) The worst thing is she's ever done was steal sacrificial wine with the butcher's boy, which made them sick. And she was ten. I mean, come on. 
Now, as the Inquisitor starts clicking his tongue impatiently, he says she will be judged this afternoon. She's not having a good she day. She's not. She's not at all having a good day. Mona is made to wait forever, so long that she's desperate to pee and has to beg the guards to go. Thankfully, one takes pity on her. The other is too busy eating his bread and cheese. Well, screw that guy, because Mona wheels his bread to be stale and as hard as rock. He's looking <laughs> mighty displeased and unhappy with his lunch as she is escorted back. <laughs> At last, she is fetched for her trial. Mona is brought before the Duchess, a regal but tired-looking woman around Aunt Tabitha's age. There are many other people there, but Mona doesn't recognise most of them. Lord Ethan, the golden general and wizard who leads the Duchess's armies, is famous enough for Mona to know him. And yeah, she fangirls over him a little bit. The Inquisitor blathers on for a bit before being interrupted by the Duchess. She asks Mona a few questions about her parents, her family and her magic, and quickly concludes that the Inquisitor was overzealous and to let Mona go with apologies. The Inquisitor is not happy about this, but fine, he'll let her go, but the Duchess didn't see anything about returning her home, so with a warning that this is not over, little witch, the Inquisitor sends Mona on her way. He is such a dick. She is a kid. Give her a fucking break. Mona has to walk all the way home, in the rain, alone, and in an unfamiliar part of the city. Rather than taking three hours to get home, it takes six because she gets lost. Oh, great. The fact that she was found innocent is of little consolation. Deciding to cut through the seedy rat's elbow where beer is cheap and blood is cheaper, at least it's not the rat's nest, which is worse. And that sounds pretty bad to me. As Mona is walking through and reasoning how not all people in Rat's Elbow are bad, they're just poor and down on their luck, she hears a chattering noise and someone calls out for the bread girl. Mona turns and comes face to face with the skeletal face of a reanimated horse. Thank goodness! Wait, what? Knackering Molly is insane. A minor wizard like Mona, her talent lay in making dead horses walk yeah at first this may seem like a useless ability but for sixpence molly can walk your dead horse out of the city which is a damn sight cheaper and cleaner than the knackermen nag is molly's own walking dead horse stuffed with rags twigs and old flower sacks and has been dead longer than mourner has been alive Molly is one of the few magickers Mona has contact with. Perhaps dancing gingerbread is too flamboyant for others? Maybe. Maybe. Molly asks what Mona is doing in the elbow, and Mona explains about the dead girl and her visit to the palace as Molly and Nag walk Mona the rest of the way home. Before Molly rides off, she warns Mona to look out for the spring green man. Ooh. Ooh. Aunt Tabitha and Uncle Albert are relieved when Mona walks through the bakery doors. After peppering her with questions and checking her well-being, Mona is sent home. She lives a couple of doors down and over the glassblower as, you know, there just isn't room in the bakery. And there's a sentient sourdough starter in the basement. (laughs) Before Mona finally reaches home, her shoulder is grabbed. (sighs) What now? 
It's a 10-year-old boy demanding to know where his sister, Tibby, is. She snuck into the bakery last night to get some buns and never came back. He saw a man go in after her wearing a yellowish, greeny outfit, so he knows they must have done something. Mona breaks the news that Tibby is dead. The boy doesn't believe her and wants Mona to prove it, so he's going to come back later and get Mona to take him inside the bakery to have a look. The boy, Spindle, visits Mona at midnight. Together, they go to the bakery and Mona lets him take a look. With the air of a seasoned crime scene investigator and not a ten-year-old boy, Spindle surveys the scene and spots something in the cracks of the floorboards. It's a small space, but nothing a magic gingerbread man can't help with. As Mona wills a gingerbread man to life and asks it to collect the object, Spindle tells Mona that Tibby was a wizard too. She could sneak. This reminds Mona of what the Inquisitor and Knackering Molly said. Someone was killing wizards. The object turns out to be Tibby's bracelet. Spindle's face goes a funny colour and he runs from the bakery. The gingerbread man sitting on Mona's shoulder now pats the tears from her face. Things return to relative normality for a few days, as normal as it can when there's a wizard killer on the loose anyway. Mona doesn't see Spindle during that time and worries about him and her own safety, especially when walking home at night. Other magickers are leaving the city, scared for their safety. On top of this, Lord Ethan has also left the city, taking the army to deal with the enemy. Though none of the customers at the bakery are particularly clear about who this enemy is when they're gossiping. One nice thing, though. The gingerbread man that Mona brought to life to help Spindle search is still going strong and is displaying an unusual amount of initiative. He's begun helping her in the bakery and playing guard at night. Now and then, Mona thinks about making a life-size gingerbread man, but the bakery ovens are too small. After about a week, Mona decides to feed the ducks at Rookshade Bridge and finds Spindle sitting at the bank. Understandably, he's still upset about Tibby and tells Mona about the things she did to keep him safe. When he looks at Mona and warns her to be careful, his eyes are haunted. At the start of another day, if four in the morning can actually be considered nope. that because Mm-mm. yikes. No. <laughs> Mona enters the bakery and reaches for the door she left proving overnight when she hears the door open. Mm-mm. That's not right. No. The unusualness of it causes Mona to bang her head and stagger, which actually saves her life as at that same moment, the spring green man tries to stab her in the ribs. No! Yikes. Uh Uh-uh, yikes. All the yikes. Mona, understanding the danger she is in, bolts from the room with the spring green man in pursuit. He says she needs to cooperate. Really? Yeah. Says the Inquisitor clearly didn't do his job right then starts bragging about killing Tibby and the other magickers, and disturbingly, how he can smell nope. her. This guy nope. is freaking nope. wrong and nasty. Nope. Then he starts to giggle. Worse. Stop it. Mona finds a hiding spot in the cellar near Bob, but the spring green man finds her, so she flings Bob at him and <laughs> runs. At first, his scream is one of surprise, then Bob starts to fizz and pop. 
Meanwhile, at the top of the stairs, Spindle drags Mourner outside through the elbow. The city is starting to wake, and eyes watch the duo. Thankfully, they happen upon knackering Molly and Nag, who tells them to grab Nag's tail, mm. yuck, yeah. and follow along as they head to the rat's nest. Mourner's gingerbread man climbs onto a hip board and makes a little giddy up. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. Knackering Molly listens to everything and not once treats Mona like a little kid who is jumping at shadows. Then she gets up and tells Mona and Spindle she has some questions to ask and tells them that they are to stay in her little lean-to until she and Nag return. The sun starts to rise, stomachs start to rumble, and patience wears thin. Mona gets the idea from something Spindle says about going to the constabulary, which is not something Spindle would ever advocate since, you know, they're on the lamb. Spindle was right. The constable, Mona finds, tries to arrest her. Together, they run off and hide under the stairs leading to the canal. The constable has been joined by another, and Mona and Spindle are running out of options. The canal would be a perfect escape, Except that it's rancid, and it would be healthier to be arrested and thrown in jail. Suddenly, Mona gets an idea. Taking the mostly stale bread Spindle has on him, she orders it to slice, grow hard, and hate the water. Then, she uses them as mini floats. <laughs> One slice <laughs> for each foot. They each have a pair, and though Spindle is more graceful than Mona, they manage to stay afloat and make it down the canal on the natural current to a sewer tunnel. I would love to see that. I don't think that I would want to see it because I think it would smell really bad. Well. It's a poop canal. Yes. I don't need to do it. I just need to see. You can see it from a distance. More than spindle. Yeah. Somebody can record it for me. And yeah. It on the, yeah. Okay. The yeah. The bread floats eventually give up, but Mona and Spindle manage to perch on a small beach in the original smuggler tunnels. Hunger, or more likely Mourner complaining loudly about being hungry, draws them out, and Spindle steals a couple of meat pies from a nearby vendor. They agree the need to get back to knackering mollies, but on the way they need new claws and a dip in an assistant because they absolutely <laughs> reek. <laughs> Poop canal. Poop canal. <laughs> knackering Molly asked some questions and didn't really get any answers. But the guess is the Spring Green Man is in cahoots with someone important and it's likely the Inquisitor since he's so desperate to find Mourner. The gossip also says that Spring Green Man is a magicker himself hmm. with a smell or air power so Molly hides Mourner in a church bell tower sans the bell while she is on the lamp. Hopefully that the holy ground will help mask Mourner's smell. In the end, Mona spends five days in the bell tower building a circus out of bread. As, As you do. After teaching her gingerbread man how to play cards with a pack that Spindle brought her and him soundly beating her each game, Mona starts practicing with her magic. I just really want to enjoy this card game. Because what, how is she so bad that she loses to a cookie? It's a very intelligent initiative taking it really cookie. Is. It is. It has it must have like an extra little bit of ginger in it or it something. It must. 
Spindle stops by every day with food, more palatable than the porridge the priests provide, and at her request, steals her some uncooked dough to practice with. The gingerbread man just shrugs while Mona practices and goes back to building his house of cards or playing solitaire. <laughs> with the f- He's so sassy. He is such a sassy little gingerbread man. With the fresh dough, Mona can feel a connection to the little creatures she makes if she concentrates. The same with her gingerbread familiar. She thinks about making an elephant, but worries about the size. She also tries unsuccessfully to make a dough creature fly, but when she tries, it explodes. (laughs) While covered in sticky exploded dough bird, Spindle sticks his head up the trap door. He has a present. It's a wanted poster with Mona's face on it. Spindle being the <laughs> That's best not gifts. a good present. Oh. Mommy pies. That's better. Anything. Not a wanted poster. Well, Mona is wanted for questioning murder and suspicion of treason. Where the treason came from, <laughs> I have no idea. Mona is flabbergasted. She's a 14-year-old baker. And as her poor Aunt Tabitha will have to look at all of the posters everywhere, it really breaks up. It is sad. Spindle pulls out some broadsheets. The first declares a curfew. Nobody on the streets between midnight and five, unless necessary business. The second exclaims, Be a patriot! And asks for people to turn in spies, wizard traitors, and those giving comfort to the enemy. They aren't sure who the enemy is, other than Lord Ethan has been dispatched to deal with them, so... And when Mourner suspects the Carrick's mercenaries from the north, but they have an aversion to magicers, so it doesn't really make sense. Anywho, the third broadsheet, and the newest, announces a registration order for all wizards. This is all terrible, terrible news, and clearly Inquisitor Oberon is using the Spring Green Man murders for his own end, if they aren't working together. Pretty sure they're working together. Yeah. Mona is restless that night. The wanted posters are preying on her mind. With the help of her gingerbread man, she sneaks out of the bell tower only to stumble upon a priest at prayer. Luckily, he's stone deaf and lets Mona talk out loud. Having no idea what she said, he gives her his standard piece of advice, which is good for confessionals or late-night angst, appealing to a higher power. (gasps) That's it! Inquisitor Oberon commissioned these orders, not the Duchess, so Mona needs to speak to her. (gasps) He calls her mad but asks for help to come up with a plan, which is how they end up in the Duchess's toilet. Obviously. Of course. That's the logical plan. Toilet. Well, it is because the toilet is a garden wall, meaning there is a hole in a bench and a considerable drop to a cesspit at the bottom. More poop canals. More poop canals. This one's a poop waterfall. It is. (laughs) Mourner and Spindle will work in the palace until nightfall. Mourner obviously in the kitchen. Spindle where his talents lie best and that's pretty much... Everywhere? Anywhere? Yeah. Mona actually puts in a hard day's work making biscuits, magic to be fluffy, making bread, chopping vegetables and washing up. So much washing up. 
and at nightfall, Mona meets up with Spindle to make the climb up the three stories to access the Duchess's private suite. Up the poop chute. Up the poop chute. <laughs> Great. Great. It stinks. Obviously. Poop chute. It isn't easy, and Mona gets stuck at the top. Oh, no. Oh, no. Spindle is trying to pull her through the hall when the Duchess walks in carrying a book. <laughs> she was going to be there for a while. Well, sometimes you just want to have some peace and quiet and it's the only place you can get yeah. it. The poop shoot. The poop shoot. Thankfully, the Duchess didn't scream. Mona vomits out her prepared speech and after the Duchess's face crumples as she confesses she knows about Inquisitor Oberon, the assassinations and the plot against her, she just doesn't know what to do about Dang. it. Dang it. After the Duchess and Spindle pull Mona out of the toilet hole. Poop shoot. Poop shoot. <laughs> and a quick cleanup, thank everything that is holy. They tell the Duchess everything. Inquisitor Oberon has been keeping the Duchess in the dark. She knows nothing at all about the Magicker murders and certainly would never have authorized a Magicker registration. It seems the Inquisitor's lust for power is growing. If only Lord Ethan were here, but the Duchess was persuaded to send him to defend against the Carrick's mercenaries. They could send notice to him, but a messenger would take days. Maybe the palace wizards could do it, but one died of natural causes a few days ago, another is old with little strength, and the third is the spring green man. <laughs> so let's ask him for help. Can you help us catch you? Oh, hmm. 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 Let me go and contemplate this in my poop shoot. <laughs> the Duchess sends Joshua a guard to gather page uniforms to disguise Morn and Spindle, and once changed, they head to the Master Gildan's suite. The wizard is old, like really, really old, and once the Duchess tells him Elgar is a traitor, news he isn't particularly surprised by, Master Gildan puts whatever magic is left in him at the Duchess's disposal, which is how Mona ends up jammed in a closet with a wizard and a large bowl of water. Gildian is a water wizard and can use the water in a bowl to communicate with its twin carried by Lord Ethan's army. He explains Elgar is a air wizard and can wrap air around him to hide himself, which is useful as his bright green robes are just ghastly. They are crime against fashion. I would wear them. Gildian tells Mona about wizard communication and that she can probably do this too if there were twin ovens and door with the army. Using boiling water, Gildian is able to tell the person on the other end of the water bowl that Elgar is treasonous. Oberon is a traitor, one wizard is dead and that Lord Ethan is needed back now. Unfortunately, while he's doing this, Nitwit... <laughs> Elgar, shrouded in there, sticks a knife in Gildan's side, killing him. Damn it. How? I was going to say, how did nobody see, but he just wraps himself in air. He then comes for Mona. She throws the boiling water at Elgar and scores him, which will match nicely with those given to him by Bob. Yes. And Mona then falls out of the closet, and Joshua clobbers Elgar with a chair, knocking him out. Joshua ties Elgar up like a turkey before the Duchess sends him off to round up the guards that are loyal to her. They must act tonight to confront Inquisitor Oberon. 
Joshua sends Harold, one of the Duchess's personal guard, to watch over Elgar, who has started snoring. That's just rude. Mona becomes bored during the wait and starts investigating Master Gildane's bookcase. One tome in particular calls to her. Spiraling shadows, reflections on the use of magic. In it, Mona reads that it is not the size of the magical creation that is important, so she may be able to make her bread elephant after all. Interesting. When Joshua returns, he has with him 37 loyal guards. Others he was uncertain of are locked in the pantry. The Duchess gives a rousing speech about loyalty, which makes all the guards stand at a straighter, before heading off to the Inquisitor's suite. When Auberon steps out of his rooms, the Duchess lays the charges before him and orders his immediate exile. Auberon tries to tell the Duchess that Mona is a traitor and a murderer, and even now she is clouding the Duchess's mind, and that they should get Elgar to corroborate this. Auberon is visibly shocked when Spindle tells him Elgar killed Gildane right in front of them. The Duchess kicks Auberon and his loyal guards out of the city at that very moment. As for the council, the Duchess will placate them by sharing out Auberon's money, titles and lands. Mona and Spindle have shown loyalty to the crown. It's probably like a knighthood in there somewhere for them or something. But for now, they can have a comfortable bed and a decent meal. The next day, Mona finally returns to the bakery, complete with honour guard. Everyone is crying and hugging. Tabitha and Albert thought Mona was dead, and Mona thought that Bob was dead. But thankfully, he's all right, too. (sighs) For three days, normality of a sort resumes. During the day, Mona is happy and taking pleasure in baking. At night, she can't sleep and reads Spiraling Shadows. It's heavily philosophical, has a whole chapter on eggplants, and mentions sympathetic magic, which is what Master Gildane was talking about. Mona starts to practice it and feels like she's exercising mental muscles. The cinnamon roll was a bust. The scone to listen in on conversations wasn't the best. But the basic gingerbread men could carry out simple instructions. The capital G, capital M, gingerbread man, became jealous over those guys and ordered them to jump into Bob's bucket. (laughs) Do not make other gingerbread men, okay? You've got one, and he's perfect in every single way. Well, just don't piss off the gingerbread man's familiar, you know? Don't do it. Don't. Let, Let him be the general of your army, though. Yes. More on that later. Aunt Tabitha calls Mona a hero and always tries to show her off to the customers, but she doesn't like that title or being paraded around. She did what she had to do because she ran out of options and had nowhere else to go. It shouldn't be up to a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy to save the day. Uncle Albert can sympathise after his time in the army when he wasn't much older than Mona and he was mistakenly branded a hero. Things are better until the end of the week, when Joshua and Harold march through the door, followed by the Duchess. Mona gets in the Duchess's carriage, and Spindle throws himself at it, wanting to be included. Joshua picks him up by the scruff of his neck and throws him inside. The Duchess (laughs) explains that Oberon was followed after being exiled, as is customary. He very decisively went straight to a Carrick's mercenary camp, not two days away from the city, and convinced them to attack. 
Lord Ethan, is five days away. The only defenses left are the palace guard, the city walls, and one wizard. Pointed look at Mona. Dang it. Mm -mm. This is not good. No. Despite Mona's protests that she only bakes bread, the Duchess tells her she needs her help and will have whatever she needs at her disposal. Mona recalls something she read in Spiraling Shadows, the weakest may command a mountain. She needs dough, lots and lots of it, and it needs to be left to rise until it overflows the bowl. It's time to bake bread and save the city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah! Mona's plan is simple. Bake 14-foot-tall gingerbread men golems. Very simple. Now you've got to do it. (laughs) The palace blacksmiths will create giant cookie sheets that will rest on hot coals, and the kitchen staff will help with the dough, despite the protests of the head cook. Mona's gingerbread familiar approves of the work being done in the courtyard to build the ovens, but is less impressed by the cauldrons and bathtubs of dough. When he pinches some, he frowns and shakes his head. For a cookie, he is awfully good at facial expressions. Work progresses, slowly but steadily. The ovens should be ready the following day, which doesn't leave much time until the Carax army arrives. Mm. The next day, instead of finding the sour-faced head cook in the kitchen, Mona finds Aunt Tabitha. (gasps) Yay! Yay! She's elbow deep in door and in command by the looks of it. The other kitchen staff are very relieved by this. She's not alone either. Two-thirds of Bob has come. Thank goodness. The rest of him is at home munching on a whole hat. <laughs> he likes fish. He does like his fish. Having most of Bob gives Mona an idea, but she needs Joshua. Explaining she has a magical door that hurt Elgar that may be useful to fling over the walls at the Carrex, they plan to divide Bob up into glass jars and use slings to fire him at the enemy. <laughs> A homicidal sourdough will certainly slow them down. Yep. Convincing Bob that the world needs more of him was easy, especially since he believed that to be true already. Soon, Bob is moved from a soup tureen to a horse trough to six rain barrels, his bubbling and tentacle-sloshing creeping out spindle. Eventually, Bob is spitting mad, like literally, after Mona tells him about the carracks, and she suspects... Spindle may have fed him a couple of chilli peppers. <laughs> and he's divided into over a hundred jars. An hour before the ovens are ready, Joshua comes to find Mona. And so does a homing pigeon, carrying a message from Lord Ethan. He thanks her for stepping forward and implores Mona to not be bound by what seems foolish or impossible. In magic, creativity is as important as knowledge. Joshua has come to show Mona the approaching Carex army. They are so close. They've stopped for the night and have been burning outlying farms, but thankfully the Duchess says that those farms were evacuated and the farmers and their livestock are currently arguing in the city parks. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Joshua bemoans not having assassins out causing mayhem in the enemy camp. 
Spindle informs them that it's funny that they should mention that as a few of the lads from the Elbow used the smuggler's tunnels and are currently defending their home the best way they know how. This gives Mona another idea. Ooh. <laughs> On the way back to the kitchen, Harold finds her and informs Mona that Elgar has gotten Damn free. Damn it. Dang it. They assume he will make his way to Oberon, but they can't be certain, and they don't know who helped him escape, so he shall act as her personal guard. This fires Mona up further for her next task, making gingerbread. They will be evil little buggers who will be released into the enemy camp and cause chaos. Delightful, wonderful chaos. (laughs) 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 The dough is poor quality and she has cayenne pepper and rat poison to make it worse. She would even have glass, but you can't need glass. In the end, she has 23 minions with fangs iced onto their face. When she awakens them, they instantly start getting up to no good, and it's only her gingerbread familiar who was able to bring them in line. Once they receive their orders, too much glee, they climb into a potato sack, and Spindle, with the help of the gingerbread familiar, will sneak into the camp and let them loose. Meanwhile, Mona has her gingerbread golems to make. The golems have to be cooked one at a time. They're a mismatch of different doughs all squished and molded together. To make the dough bind and the golems not burn in the oven, Mona has to stick her hand into the baking dough to exert her will. Eventually, the first one is out, but struggles to stand. (laughs) He isn't nimble like the little ones. Luckily, the head blacksmith and Tabitha have an idea. To give it shoes. It's like the Statue of Liberty in Ghostbusters 2. She needs shoes. (laughs) They make the shoes from barrels packed with straw and lash them to the gingerbread men's legs. And it works and is an intimidating sight. Tabitha tries to make the giant gingerbread men look happy with big icing smiles. But when Mona points out that they're supposed to be an intimidating force against the enemy, she adds angry eyebrows. (laughs) My favorite thing. (laughs) As golems two, three, and four are made, Mona can feel her mischievous gingerbread minions through the magical bond. As she's sitting down to eat something, she holds the scrap of their dough and can see through their eyes, some of the chaos that they're causing. But then a huge frying pan flies at her. (laughs) Now and then, Mona can feel the loss of a gingerbread man. Something else bothers her, though. Where's Spindle? (gasps) Before dawn the next morning, the seventh golem is finished, and Joshua arrives informing Mona that Carrick's will be attacking soon. Time has run out. Mona is exhausted from the magic, baking, and feeling the mischievous gingerbread winking out when she did try to rest. Mona and Tabitha follow Joshua to the Duchess, who is already dressed in armour. Orders are given to find armour for Mona and Tabitha to keep them from being taken out by a straight arrow. The attack begins 20 minutes after sundown. The archers fire and it does nothing, so it's time to send out Bob. The sourdough starter is mad and he sat and stewed literally in his own juices 
and figuratively all night. <laughs> when the jars explode over the enemy, Bob climbs under their armour, tries to get into their noses, jumps from person to person and causes general havoc and burns like acid. Eventually, a rider under a white flag approaches. It's Oberon. <coughs> Dick. <coughs> he demands the surrender of the Duchess, but she tells him no, and Joshua tells him to shove it up his ass. <laughs> you know Spindle would have said exactly the same thing would. if he were there. He probably would, and then they would have dragged him to the poop shoot. But then Joshua and Spindle would have had a high five, yes. and then they'd have taken him to the poop yes. shoot. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Karak's army brings out a giant battering ram and makes short order of the gate. Now it's time for the golems to enter the fray. Mona puts her hands in the dough and commands them from up in the tower. The Carracks are stunned. I mean, obviously. The first is clunked on the head by a club-wielding giant gingerbread man. The arrows fired at the dough do nothing, and poking them with swords is about the same. However, one Carax hits a golem with an axe, which is effective, and its leg needs repairing, which only Mona can do. Climbing down with Tabitha, Mona orders the golem to come up to the supply station where the blacksmiths are ready with spare barrels, ropes, and dough. As she wills the dough to adhere, more Carax attack. Tabitha picks up a hammer and charges at them with the blacksmith hot on her heels. Once Mona is done, she bends to pat the golem and sends it back to the fray, which is lucky, as Elgar tries to stab her and hits the armor instead. She's, Damn it, she's really, really good at accidentally dodging him. Yes, well, he's just really, really bad. Mona bolts. She is exhausted from all the magic use without rest, and Elgar quickly catches her. His eyes are wild, and he has like this bad guy monologue. That he couldn't leave the city before killing her. You know, do whatever. Mm. He's working with Oberon for now, but that man is a fool and will die soon enough when a wizard emperor will sit on the throne. Mm, sure. Throughout the monologue, Mona can't stop looking at the green thing between his teeth as well. It's like... <laughs> it's... It's Yzma. It's Yzma. Yes. <laughs> There's just a broccoli in there. I mean, it's understandably distracting. Suddenly, Nag kicks Elga off Mourner and sends him flying. Knackering Molly, sitting atop her dead horse, has Spindle and the gingerbread familiar with Thank her. Goodness. Yay! Thank goodness. She rescued them from some ne'er-do-wells in the elbow. Just then, Mourner feels one of the golems wink out. Racing back to the city square, she feels a second, then a third. Oh, no. Tabitha says the Carracks have worked out how to bring them down. No, 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 no. This is not good. Mona needs to hold the city until Lord Ethan arrives. Mona then has an idea. Getting all the remaining uncooked dough into a pile, she pours her magic into it and forces it to come to life. The grotesque door slug with tentacle arms then moves towards the Carracks and the gate. They have breached. I kind of got, if you've ever seen or played Resident uh, Evil Village, the baby, mm-hmm. that that yeah. was what the image It's very came, oozy. Yeah. yeah. Mona has poured so much magic into it, though, she can't walk, and Tabitha has to hold her up. As Tabitha tells her she is the last wizard and must stay strong, 
Molly steps up and tells everyone that Mona isn't the only wizard left. <gasps> Molly climbs on Nag's back, bows her head, and a loud thump-thump sound reverberates. Then the ground begins to shake. Molly has called the hundreds of dead horses in the city and leads the charge on the Carex. It's a waterfall of bone as the horses run through the city into the square and out the gates to the Carex army. Though there are many dead horses in the city, there are thousands in the boneyards outside the walls. The Carex can't fight them, and many flee or are trampled. Dust begins to settle, and Mona knows that it's over. A sea of bones lies in front of the city, and in a circle of dead horses lies Molly, Nag standing next to her. There isn't a mark on her, but as she poured everything into her spell, she was killed by her own magic. The ring of horses lie down, and Nag folds itself down and lies by its mistress. The Duchess asks Mona and Spindle how she can honor Molly since they knew her better. Spindle tells her to bury Molly with Nag in a nice park, and when a monument statue is suggested, Mona agrees to one of Nag. Not in a heroic pose, though, but how he really was. And Amanda has Look, half of an emotion. It's honestly that bit, wow. Yeah. It was Lord of the Rings style Gandalf coming over the ridge in the east. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Ethan and his armies eventually turn up a day or two late, so the Duchess puts them to work rebuilding the outlying farm. In total, only seven lives were lost. Joshua points out that's considerably less than what could have been if the city didn't have Mourna and her bread magic helping. Two weeks later, Mourna and Spindle are all dressed up for their award ceremony. The Duchess pins a lot of medals onto Mourna and makes her a royal wizard, and even presents the gingerbread familiar who was wearing fresh buttons for the occasion with a medal. The city has packed the hall and goes wild at their presentation. When things settle and routine returns, Lord Ethan visits Mona. He offers her magical lessons because she's a powerful wizard who would benefit from some instruction. People know what she is capable of, and if the need should arise again, they will come to her for help. Heroism is difficult to step away from. Mona is tempted, but for now she needs to take a step back. She's still angry at the adults for letting things get this far, and, you know, that they needed children to rescue them? <sighs> Mona also sees the sense in what Lord Ethan says. For now, though, if you ask nicely and she's in a good mood, Mona will make the gingerbread dance for you. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Anybody else really want some sourdough bread? Like, toasted? Or like a gingerbread man? I want a gingerbread man. Or just like some sweet buns, or... Yeah. Something. Heck, even toast! Some big... Sourdough toast is amazing. Sourdough toast and poached eggs is the best. I'm really kind of... Mm. Right, let's have a break. Yeah. Let's get some munchies yeah. and we'll get back. Yeah. I'm going to have a rumbling tummy later on. Just deal with it. 
What's up, fellow book nerds? It's time to feed your fiction shelf addiction. Hear book club-style roundtables, bookish chats, and more. Join Tamara and her friends for fantasy and thriller read-alongs and other shenanigans over on the Shelf Addiction Podcast. Listen now on your podcatcher of choice. Subscribe for free, and you too can have a shelf addiction. Did you eat your poached eggs on our break? No, I probably shouldn't. It's like, you know, 20 past midnight for me. So. Fine, it's fine. I might I might, might make that my breakfast. Oh, well, that'll be good. You'll have that to look forward to. Yeah. So, standout moments. This entire book was brilliant. I know. There were so many, so many good things. It had so much sense of humour to it. It did. It was A so funny. Heart. Yes. It... And... A serious message as well. Yeah. I wasn't really included in the summary, but I like the way that um, Mona would say that um, quite quite, quite often she'll go, there's probably a moral lesson there somewhere, but I'm not a priest. (laughs) (laughs) Probably something. Probably something there. I did enjoy that. There was, there was just two. There was so many standout moments for me, like knackering Molly and Nag in the battle. That yeah. was some Lord of the Rings epic IMAX cinematic amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, especially like, because everybody in town treats her poorly. You know, They're like oh, there's a yeah. crazy lady riding her dead horse around. Ugh. And, like, she had been in the army before, which we didn't talk about in the summary either, but she had ar- she'd already done this. She'd already done this once, and they tried to, like, take advantage of her powers, and she was like, nope, ain't gonna do it again. And then she did. Yeah. It's, it's always the way, though, it's the people who shouldn't have to save the day, who do come and save yeah. the day. Yeah, which I I understand and appreciate that makes it for an interesting story, right? But it, it it's the same as kind of true in life as well. Mm-hmm. And Mona says that multiple times throughout the book, how she's a kid, yeah, she's fourteen. Why are the adults letting everybody down? Why she doesn't she she respects the Duchess to a certain extent, but she also resents the Duchess for letting things get this far for making like for, for letting the situation happen yeah when she's the person in charge she's the person with the power who could have stopped this from ever happening yeah that was actually my surprise that like the adults literally don't do anything they don't they've just let all of this terrible stuff happen and it's even worse that the duchess was like yeah I knew about it, but I just didn't really know what to do. So, like, you can't just shrug and hope it goes away. You got to do something. If she knew it was happening, why didn't she talk to Lord Ethan before he got sent off with the army? Why didn't she talk to Master Gildren? He might have been a dothering old wizard with very little power, but he was also, you know, wise and experienced, and if not being able to perform magic, would have at least been able to, to 
advocate for her or give her advice. Yes, you would have been able to do something. Just you mm. have, you have to make a change if you want to make a change. Yeah, and I think it's so reflective of like current times where, as an as a lay person, we feel completely helpless. Like, how do we affect change? Take to social media and write to representatives. Yeah. I mean, that only feels like it gets you so far. Protesting in the streets, well, you know, that's depending on which country you're in, starting to become illegal. Um, and it's like, and we constantly, we've said this before in other books, we constantly seem to feel like teenagers, children are the ones who are going to be our saviors, and that's not right. No, but they are. The next ones to change the world, so it, it will be a good thing. But they shouldn't have to do it yet. The fourteen-year-old shouldn't have to stand in front of the Duchess or the UN and tell people this is how you're going to save the planet. No. But if they didn't, I mean, where would we be? Well, exactly, exactly. It's such a frustrating situation. It is. So, so I, I was very surprised. Present, I mean, I'm su- same surprised as you that the adults that you do nothing, but I was pleasantly surprised as well by the amount of humour, the amount of heart, and the actual lessons that yeah. were in this book. Yeah, about gingerbread men and Salvador starters. Yes, I feel like we've talked about a lot of serious stuff, so we should move on to the yeah. sillier things that we like. Please, perhaps the ravenous gingerbread hooligans. <laughs> Oh my god. Those little fanged devils. I know. I love how I love how like she's putting all this anger into them and filling them up with rat poison and like pepper and just making them the most awful things. And then they wake up and immediately start going bonkers and like killing each other and like tearing each other's arms off and stuff. And she's like, No, 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 no. Tying people's shoelaces together. Yes. <laughs> yeah. pulling on people's hair yeah dropping stuff on people honestly yeah but they just they go absolutely mad and then the gingerbread familiars like gesturing at them and doing a little march and a little speech and they just they straighten up and then they're ready to go and they just hop into their potato sack and get ready to go you know cause havoc elsewhere <laughs> But they've got a leader now. He gives a rousing it. good speech without, you know, a mouth. That's or the ability kind of to speak. He probably has, he has a little icing mouth. Yeah, but he, he just doesn't have the yeah, ability to speak. Yeah. And there's part of us that wants to be able to understand what he said to them. But at the same time, I love the fact that it's just this little gingerbread man, like prancing around and gesticulating and having his eyebrows you know his facial expressions mm-hmm. made out of icing just giving everything yeah. <laughs> it's so wonderful it's so and the so good golems having the angry eyebrows. yes that was one of my favorite parts actually was the angry eyebrows because everyone knows how i feel about eyebrows right and so yeah. poor aunt tabitha's trying to make them sweet and she's like no they're supposed to be menacing. So she starts giving them fangs and angry eyebrows. It's perfect. So, so good. Funny. So funny. I also really, even though it's kind of sad, I really enjoyed the exploding birds. <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire gingerbread circus. The, sorry, the door circus. Yes. 
was very fun. Like you have this kind of like almost flea circus sized yeah. thing in mind. At least I did. Yeah. I really appreciate the fact that like she knows that she like has this power and instead of moping around when she's hiding out, she's like, hmm, what can I do? And she builds a circus. And then she tries to make them fly. And she tries, like, mm, maybe I can make a really, really big thing. But, oh, I don't think that'll work. Like, I'm just a, I'm just a little girl. I'm not going to be able to make a giant elephant. And then, then she finds out by reading a book Yay. that she can do all of that. She can do those things. But I was just really proud of her for learning. Yeah, she seemed... She, she, she put herself down a lot and her own abilities down a lot. But she was very willing to, to listen to others, listen, take on people's experience and learn mm-hmm. and not be like, no, 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 I can't do it. I just make cookies and bread and I don't need to know anything else. It's like, oh, hang on. Hmm, interesting. Mm. Let's test. Let's give it a go. Let's see where I can move this. Because, I mean, I agree, any any power might seem insignificant to you, but as your power, but other people can probably see a lot more potential. That's the, that's the case, isn't it, where you, if you take yourself out of the situation and look at it objectively, you can see the, the potential in there. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like um, Suki. And she always says that, like, she has a disability with her mind-reading abilities. Like, no, Suki, you are powerful yeah don't be afraid of it yeah i really liked how creative mona was though you know oh yeah that i'm I'm pleased that lord ethan reached out to her and told her that you know creativity is just as is probably more important than knowledge and don't be limited by what you think is possible and especially when your medium is something as malleable and is dope. Yeah. It kind of comes to the whole. Well, what is what? What? Where can your imagination take you? If you're thinking about making a giant gingerbread elephant, you could probably do it. Yeah. You could do anything, and like having the idea to use bread as stepping stones or ice skates, <laughs> poop Little poop shoot floats. skates, like poop shoot floats. That's brilliant. And she's like, well, you know, we can stand on them, but now I have to will them to hate water. And she just does. That's huge. And she did that, like, on the fly. Mm. But the entire seat, she was doing everything. Like, she had the thought of the golems, like, on the the way. Mm -hmm. But coming up with the little fanged minions and then seeing Bob. Yay, Bob. I think I'm going to grow him and grow him and grow him and fire him at the enemy. Now, hundreds of jars of Bob have been fired at the enemy Mm -hmm. and got to places. Do we think there are mini Bobs out in the world now? Yeah. Because it can feed itself. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Bob is going to take over the world. So is that is this book two when you know the return of Bob? Yes, and Bob is just everywhere, but like he's not killing people, you know. 
I feel like he wouldn't do that. He's Oh, I think he would. I think you'd sizzle them. He, but he I was don't good want to try him, and kill Elga. But I don't want him to, because I want him to be good. You know, he, well, he, good in he quotes. To, he, was, he was defending Mourner against Elga when he started to fizzle him. Yeah, so he'll and only the fizzle the bad guys then. Well, yeah, and the same with the Carrick's mercenaries. He was fizzling them. I don't think he would fizzle everybody, so, though. No, I don't necessarily think he would fizzle everyone. I do feel... I, I am worried about Albert, though. Like, why does Bob keep hissing at Albert? I know. Maybe he's not feeding him enough fish. <laughs> See, this is where Tabitha's worked it out. She's like, ah, the, the, the way to Bob is through food. Yes. So if I give him tasty fishy treats, he'll like me. It's so interesting, though, that like she'll just pinch some of him off to make some bread it can't taste good it can't taste good anymore but she just what? magics it to be delicious it's not the flavor though it's the texture that she magics i think she could do that if she chose to mm. but they do say that they have the best bread in the entirety of the city it's only a little bit fishy and a little bit rat poisoning Susan of Royal Wizard. <laughs> Delightful. It's good for dipping bread into soup. Stop it. <laughs> so, is Bob your favorite character? One of Bob, the gingerbread man, definitely. The gingerbread, gingerbread man, familiar. Yeah. And knackering Molly, I really appreciate a weirdo. Yeah, yeah, but I was so sad. I was upset that knackering Molly made me have an emotion. So I did not include her in my favorite characters. Just, just Bob for me and the gingerbread man. May. Did you spend the entire book waiting for knackering Molly to do more? I did, but I had a feeling it was going to turn out the way it did. Somebody had to die. I mean, yeah. you can't have a war. I was kind of and not have. Death. I was kind of worried that it was going to be the gingerbread man. I was terrified it was going to be the gingerbread man. Yeah, I wasn't worried about it being Bob because she's pretty sure that Bob is immortal. So I was fine with well, that. Like Bob, I'm convinced there's mini Bobs all over. Yeah, now. there are. They're taking over. But I was really worried that like Spindle was going to come back with a little broken gingerbread man. And, like, she would try to fix him and she couldn't or something because she's so low on magic. She couldn't put him back together. Aww. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Aww. And then Nackering Molly comes up and sacrifices herself, which is also sad. But she did it so epically. She really did. She really, you know, really did. It was an epic death. Unnecessary, but epic. Yeah. She saved the day. She was the hero. Mm. I half felt the the spring green man element was I don't know not unnecessary. It but it 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 didn't I don't it you needed it because you needed to get Mona out of the bakery and accused of murder. Yeah, but it was such a side story. It was like it was a means to an end and not really a story in and of itself. Yeah. Because everything that he did, like, Oberon could have done. It could have been Oberon who tried to sneak up and kill her without being a wizard. It could have been Oberon who 
killed Gildane. It could have been Oberon who did all these things, but he was just just needed to throw another wizard into the mix, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not saying it was unnecessary. It needed to be there. We needed we needed that. Right, but it like it was necessary but not at the same time. You know, like we could have gotten Mona to the palace in a different way. I think once Elgar was captured, that for me was the end of him. I didn't need him to come back during the siege and attack Mona. No, but then if he hadn't, then you'd be wondering, like, where is he the whole time? Well, I just consider that he's in jail. Yeah, but he's got to get his comeuppance. Yeah. And now he's dead. Killed by Nerd. Killed by Nerd. Well done, Nerd. Way to go. What else? Anything else? I don't know. I just, it's one of these where I think it's, I encourage people to read it or listen to it. It was, the audio book was very well done. It was. Yeah. It was, it was good. It was a lot of fun. It, it was a very enjoyable read and don't be put off by the fact that Mona is a 14 year old girl because she might be 14, but she acts, she has, she has a very, you know, older mental age. Yeah. Definitely. Um, she doesn't really act like a little kid. Except for when she's telling people, like, why are you not taking care of this? You're a grown-up and I'm a kid. And that's more than reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. She could just as easily be someone who didn't realize that she had magical powers. She could She could be any age. Just coming into her magic or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason we know is because she came to live with her aunt and uncle who owned a bakery. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was. Uh, it, it, I, I definitely encourage people because it covers so many different bases. It's really good. Like Spindle and his sister Tibby. That was so sad. Yeah. He's only ten. That his sister's literally his only family, and you don't know what happens with Spindle in the intervening times. Mm-hmm. Like he's not staying in the bell tower when they're on the lamb. She's, he's delivering food and then leaving. Yeah. So where is he going? Who's he staying with? What's that? I, um, I worry about yeah, him. Yeah, you got to take care um, of him. Eventually, though, at the end, he does come to live with uh, Tabitha and Albert. They do put him in a little a room they've cleared out. That was a store cupboard. Yeah, I do really like that they tried to get him to move in, and he was like, "No, I'm not going to do that." I mean, it was, it was very pink and it was flowery frilly. And fluffy. It was a frilly room, so yeah. of course he wouldn't. It was doilies. Of course he wouldn't want to live there, but <laughs> I'm glad that he finally did. Yeah. No, it was an ex- it was it was a very enjoyable book, and it's nice to have had one that's a standalone too. Yeah. And we can create our own sequels. Oh well, exactly. Yeah. Because that's what we do. I, I want I want my fan fiction this week to be about knackering Molly and her time in the army. Mm. I feel like that would be very sad. I don't know if I want to read that story. No, it would be. Yeah. Or oh, the hijinks of Spindle. Yeah. Just keeps going on. Tell them where they're assholes. I really would like the, um, a short story about... The ravenous, little mischievous gingerbread men. Oh, God, they 
I just want to see what they got up to. I want to see how they fucked with all those soldiers outside. They stole so many left socks. They did. Tied so many shoelaces together. Yeah. They put so many hands in warm water so they peed their pants. Yes. Or put chocolate bars between buttocks cheeks. Yeah. While they were sleeping. Yeah. And set fire to tents. So much. So much havoc. Stole people's glass eyes. Yes. Pulled out people's regular eyes and put somebody else's glass eyes in. Mm. Yeah. 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 Chopped people's hair off. But just in like one spot. Oh, yeah. Shave a strip out. Yeah, and it's a really obvious place where you've got to do something about it. You can't yes. hide it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did all of those things. And I need to read about it. It's important. Yes, I agree. Get on that. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Hey. Is it time? <laughs> it's definitely time. We asked on social media, would you rather fight one 14-foot-tall gingerbread man or 23 little gingerbread men? <laughs> and on Facebook, so 70% was 23 little gingerbread men. On Instagram, with 53% was 23 little gingerbread men. On Twitter, it was 100% for 23 little gingerbread men. And on TikTok, it was 63% for... 23 little gingerbread men. We have some comments. Yes, we do. Colin on Facebook said, I'll take the big one on, thank you. The big ones are easier to hit and the little ones will probably scuttle and nothing good ever scuttles. Nope. Mm-mm. That is true. Bree on Facebook said, I want to fight the 14-foot gingerbread man. I'm faster, can use tools and traps like the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, and I get to eat all of it when I'm victorious. <laughs> I don't think you'd want to eat these ones, Brie. <laughs> well, she wants... No, she wants to eat the big one. Yeah, but that one was raw in the inside. It wasn't cooked It was through. burned on the outside and <laughs> frozen on the inside. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Annie on Facebook said, Little ones, aren't as scary. I could battle them with a wooden spoon in one hand and a spatula in the other and then eat them with a nice cup of tea. She recommends a Scottish breakfast tea with milk and sugar. <laughs> You wouldn't want to eat these ones, Mm-mm. Annie. They're full of rat poison yeah. and cayenne pepper yeah. and... You don't want to eat them. Spite. Mm. Spite. <laughs> Crystal on Facebook said 23 little ones. I'd just scoop them all into my mouth. <laughs> it's fine if they're not full of poison and spite. Exactly. Prince Kai Fanpod on Instagram said, The tall one. For some reason, I think I have a better survival rate. I feel like the big one, you just need to trip it over with a long rope or something. Shrug emoji. Laugh emoji. Material Squirrel on TikTok said, Just gotta go for the gumdrop buttons. Not my gumdrop buttons. <laughs> and Jerry Mast on TikTok said, The small ones, just eat them, lol. I love how everybody's like, oh, just eat the small ones. It's fine. Yeah, it's just fine. eat them. Just eat them. Um, I had some comments from the library as well. Um, cool. It seems like everybody at the library wants to 
take on the little ones too. Um, someone said they can stomp them and maybe take out multiple with one well-placed smash of my foot. <laughs> someone else said that they'll just let the dogs out to get the 23 little ones. And then finally, the best comment Give me the weenie horde. I'll take 23 regular-sized gingerbread men because I have Sasquatch-sized feet. You know a Sasquatch? (laughs) Yep, there's a Sasquatch at the library. Nice. Yeah. So what are you doing? I have thought about this one. And I'm going for the big 14-foot one. Because I have read the book. And I know the 23 little gingerbread men are little buggers. Yes. Yep. And the idea of them swarming. You know, they will poke my eyes out. They will pull my hair. They will get into places I do not want gingerbread Mm -hmm. men to be. And I think that would be hard. It would be fast as well. And the nimble. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd, I'd like that. It's like a swarm of rats, a, mm. but like less chittering. Yeah. Yeah. And we know so that scuttling the... things aren't good. We learned that. Exactly. Exactly. And at least with the big one, it's not as nimble. It's slower. So in theory, you can get behind it. And if you've got an axe or something that you could chop it down, yeah. you're more likely to be able to take it out. Yeah. So I'm going to go for the big tall one, the golden. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to find him too. Um, mostly for the same reasons. Like once you figure out how to take them down, it's I feel like it's easier. They're they're bigger. I feel like they're probably pretty clumsy. They don't mm. have good balance. I mean, like they had to make them shoes because they couldn't walk. They couldn't stand up. Take the shoes out. Yeah. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight the big one, too. Yeah. All right. The angry eyebrows. Yes. What if you climbed up on their faces and erased their angry eyebrows so they weren't angry anymore? Would that unanger them and then they're just jolly? And then you could, you know, have a party? Oh, that's a very good question. Mm. No, because Mona's will is exerted, uh, and yeah. that's the fight. Okay. Yeah, she she did say that frosting is harder to manipulate than than dough, so she probably didn't. the The eyebrows themselves are not angry. No, they're just they eyebrows. They aren't, they aren't filled with. They're not uh, bitterness. They're not rage eyebrows. No, no. Spiked brows. <laughs> I learned about something this week and it made me think about these 14 foot golems and also be sick a little bit of my mouth. No, I don't know if I want to know this. Well, you're being told. In Australia, there is a Shrek burlesque parody nope. show. Mm-mm, not into it. Called Shreklesque or something like that. Mm-mm. And yeah, just just nasty. And I kept imagining what was if she exerted like 
rather than doing it to the little gingerbread men, she like made the golems dance, but then it got a little bit, you know, sexy and they started tooching. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't. I think that would be very off-putting as an, as an invading army that you're coming in and instead of seeing these 14 foot golems like ready to smack you on, they're like, you know, I came in like a wreck and No, I don't want you know? that to happen. I don't want that to happen for anyone. But that may not be off, more off-putting. It would be bad. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I don't want that to happen at all. My gumdrops bingo the boys. No. No. (laughs) Don't ruin these gingerbread men for me. (laughs) Let's move on. Let's move on to our next question. Yes, please. And it's very silly. Would you rather... You're trapped in the bell tower. Would you rather make... The circus or play cards with the gingerbread man? Oh. oh. Do I have a chance of winning card games with the gingerbread man? I don't know. Man? Probably not. Damn it. I would make the circus so my gingerbread man could be the ringmaster. Mm. Would you give and him. I would try and like. Little hat. little hat. Would you give little him little like cane. a little chair so he can fight the little lions? Yes. It would be like the greatest showman, but better because he's not a dick in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> as fun as that sounds. I think that I want to play cards because I feel like if you play cards you know after a little while, you'll probably, like, start creating some new games or, you know, maybe you just play a really long game of war. So mm-hmm. that'll last for a very long time. It'll be very entertaining. And, you know, you're not exploding birds anywhere or making a giant mess with the circus. So I think that I just want to play a nice, peaceful game of cards with the gingerbread man. I think that's what I want to do. And, like, maybe okay. maybe I could convince Spindle after a little while to bring us, like, another game. And then we could, you know, we could play another game. Not Monopoly. Not Monopoly. No. No. Not that. Cards Against Humanity. With the gingerbread man. That would be absolutely epic. I, feel like, I want to play Cards Against Humanity with the gingerbread I man. I feel like man. he'd be really good at it. He's the spiteful yes. one in this situation, by the way. Yes. Yes. Remember when he yes. told all of those other gingerbread men to jump into Bob's bucket? Oh my god, that was so funny. What are you doing? They're just marching Climb off the up edge. onto that shelf and jump, jump down. And they're like, okay. Anywho, next question. Would you rather make dead horses walk? Grow roses, which was a wizard, another wizard's power that we did mention this summer. Mm-hmm. Manipulate air, manipulate water, or sneak. God, there's so many options. Um, I mean, the dead horse's walk is a is, is a fantastic creep. Factor. It really, really is. It's 
And then we did mention in the summary, but in the book, there is one wizard who can grow roses, and she learned how to make them also like create mm, poison. Yeah, they're murder some roses. Yeah. So that's pretty good. And we know about another young girl who has power over flowers. We read about a mm-hmm. really great book. Um, this poison, poison heart. heart. Yeah. So I might have to. I might have to go roses. Because you didn't give me the option to bake gingerbread men. No. I'm wondering if you could manipulate air, could you fly? Probably. You probably could. And does that, would that also include, like, do you think you could, like, create storms by rustling stuff up in the air, or is that... Changing the air pressures yeah. and and things. Quite possibly, yeah. if you practiced enough, you'd certainly be able to do, like, a decent sandstorm. Yeah, yeah. The, the potential for evil... Look, a nefarious you make wrongdoing. any of these evil. That is very true. That is very true. Imagine having like your evil lair surrounded by dead horses walking. Yeah, it'd be terrible. It'd be terrifying. But like, I'd probably be sad about that. I don't want to be sad. So, so I got to pick something else. Okay. Sneaking could also be good. Your career path only leads you really to certain ones, and none of them are particularly legal. No, no. So I think I think I would probably grow roses because I could also grow them to sell. Okay. Or I could grow them to murder. Would you like the murder roses or the nice pretty roses? I can't remember which one's which. Whoops. <laughs> you know, and then then it also makes me think of horrid. With the roses that keep growing in the backyard. Well, you're, you've got a very special fertilizer for that one. Yeah, all the corpses. Yeah. All of them. So, yeah, I'm going roses. I'm going to manipulate air. Yeah. I want to fly. Yeah. And then, like, do some, like, X Men style shenanigans. I will insist on a cape, even though, you know, you know what Edna Mall says no capes. Yeah. If you can manipulate air, you need. You need a cape. That flourish. Yeah. It, you yeah. know, maybe like uh, Doctor Strange's cloak. I th- you know, you yes. could just make it whip around and do whatever you wanted it to do. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. I'm going for the drama, darling. The drama. Of course. Of course, darling. Okay. Would you rather hide in the bell tower for 10 days, climb up the poop chute, or use the bread floats on the other poop chute, <laughs> the poop canal. Oh my god! There's so, so much the choices: poop. bell tower, poop, or poop. <laughs> I'm gonna go for bell tower and avoid the poop. Okay, so what if we get rid of the bell tower? What if it's just poop, vertical poop, or horizontal poop? I'm going in the poop in both of these. My balance is shocking. There is no way. A couple of slices of bread is keeping this lump afloat. <laughs> and I can't hold myself up a rope with a garden rope. I'd be like, ugh. That's poop on my face. Poop on my face. Yeah. 
Um, you didn't, you know, we didn't specify in this question about the bell tower. Like, if there's a fucking bell in there, I am out. I will dive into the poop chute. But at least in the summary it's established there is no bell yeah. in the bell yeah, tower. Yeah, it's very good. I would not be able to handle it if there was a bell in the bell tower. I just got chills on my arm. Um, yeah, so I think I think I might have the balance to take on the bread floats. So I would probably try that. I think that's what I'm going to do. At the very least, I could try and get it to like a big enough slice to have a boogie board. Yeah. You're fine. You could do that. I think you have that enough. I think you have enough magical abilities to do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Cool. Either way, poop. Poop. All poop all the time. All poop all the time. Would you rather have a gingerbread man familiar? Or a sourdough starter as your familiar. And it is Bob and it is the gingerbread man. I think I have to go, uh, as much as I love the gingerbread man, I think I have to go for Bob because, I mean, he he's pretty evil at the end. So I think I have to go for Bob. I feel like I could do more villainous things if Bob was my familiar. What about you? I'm probably going to go the gingerbread man as much as I want a Bob. I would love a Bob. In fact, I could get a Bob. My mum has a sour store starter. She has two. She's called them baby and she puts them in the corner of the fridge when she's Do not, not put baby in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> And she's offered she's offered me some of the sourdough starter, and if I did, I would have to write Bob on the label of the job. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah, I would, I would, I want one, but I think I'm gonna go for the gingerbread man. I mean, he's real cute because then I can play cards with yeah. him. I can make other gingerbread men and make him general of the army. You know, It'd be a little friend, little companion. Yeah. So I think I want to go to Gingerbread Man. That's fine. You can be cute and play your games. And I'll be evil and take over the world. With your poop shoot. I think I think that's fine. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, dear me. Favorite final thought oh, quote? Oh, dear me. Just move on. Just move on past the poop shoot. Favorite final thought quote. Just pretend like it didn't happen. I so many. Yes. There are lots. I mean, everything about this book is good. I struggled with, I say I struggled with this one. It was more, to, I struggled to narrow down. Yeah. Because as I was reading it, I was reading it on my e-reader and I could um, copy the quotes off so it was much easier than normal. Yeah. And sometimes if I'm reading a book, and I might have like ten really good quotes. I might just write down three or four because I'm very lazy. Um, but this one was easy because I could just copy and paste them over. And I I wrote down loads. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you a few. I'm curious. 
Uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to go with the one that she kept, that Mona kept saying. And I was just like, yeah, I quite like this, actually. Um, there was probably a moral lesson there somewhere, but I'm not a priest. <laughs> Which for me means, you know, there might be a moral lesson there, but you don't need to find it. Nope. It's not your nope. job. Nope, not worth it. When you spend most of your time with a dead horse, you learn to respect other people's weird pets. <laughs> Good. It was great cheese. <laughs> I remember reading that one going, that's going I on. know. I did the same thing. Like, well, there's Claire's quote. Claire's, Claire <laughs> loves the cheese. There it is. I've got three that's all about the same subject matter from for next week's book already. <laughs> And it all involves my witch's brew. It's kind of sad when you've got an evil wizard tied up at your feet, a dead man in the next room, the monarch of a kingdom piercing the floor, and you're waiting to instigate a coup that will throw a traitor to the kingdom. Throw out a traitor to the kingdom, and you realise you're bored. <laughs> Good one. Saying I have a homicidal sourdough starter sounded much too bizarre. <laughs> Does it no. No. no, Bob's a hero. You haven't lived until you've seen a cookie look smug. <laughs> mm. I'm going to stop there before I that's, just end up reading the entire that's book. That's pretty good. You could re- you could have read the entire book. <laughs> Go and read the book. Go Listen and read. The book. Yes. Go and enjoy the book. Um, five out of five stars. Highly recommend. What's your quotes? I mean, I picked some more serious ones. Well, I have a, someone's got I have it. a couple of serious ones and I have one that is not serious. Which would you prefer? Should I end with a not serious one or should I end with a serious End with one? a not serious. Okay. Uh, so let's see. The weakest may command a mountain. Do not be bound by what seems foolish or impossible. In magic, creativity is as important as knowledge. Which I talked about that one already. Like, we know how I feel about that one. And finally, if you don't mind me saying so, love, you look like the ass end of a seagull. (laughs) (laughs) The ass end of a seagull is the most hilarious thing. (laughs) Mm. so good love it so so good (laughs) so good oh damn alright if you like this try this (laughs) what are you suggesting I'm sorry I'm at the ass end of a (laughs) suit I'm going to suggest this is one we uh, we kind of looked at as a potential for this month, but we um, had others in mind, yeah. so we moved on. And it's Brave Chef Brianna by Sam Sykes and illustrated by Selena Espiritu. It's a graphic novel, and the summary is from novelsandwaffles.com, which is a fantastic name for a website. It really, really is. <laughs> And the summary is, to prove herself as a great chef, a young woman sets up a restaurant as the sole human in a city full of monsters. Brianna Jacobson 
has big cooking dreams, and when her ailing restaurateur father poses a challenge to his only daughter and 15 sons, she seizes the opportunity she's going to have the best restaurant around and earn the family empire. The thing is, the only place she can afford to set up shop is in Monster City. Her menu is full of delicacies. Her kitchen is run by a half-bird harpy and her dining room is filled with skeletal businessmen. Add on to the nefarious Madame Crone, some highly competitive siblings and Brianna's plate is literally full. I also think this ties in nicely with the Legends and Lattice, which we read yeah. the first week of the month. Yeah, it's a good companion. Um, part of the thing. Yeah, it's a good companion piece. So that is my recommendation. What do you got? Okay. I went a little bit differently with mine. And this was recommended to me by a friend who, when I recommended that she read this book, she told me that I should read the one that I'm about to recommend now. It's called The Dragon with a Chocolate Heart by Stephanie Burgess. Mm. Aventurine is a brave young dragon, ready to explore the world outside of her family's mountain cave. If only they'd let her leave it. Her family thinks she's too young to fly on her own, but she's determined to prove them wrong by capturing the most dangerous prey of all, a human. But when that human tricks her into drinking enchanted hot chocolate, she's transformed into a puny human without any sharp teeth, fire breath, or claws. Still, she's the fiercest creature in these mountains, and now she's found her true passion chocolate. All she has to do is get to the human city to find herself an apprenticeship, whatever that is, in a chocolate house, which sounds delicious, and she'll be conquering new territory in no time. Won't she? Ooh. I thought it sounded pretty cute. That's us, I like that. Yeah. Because she's a dragon. <laughs> but she's not. <laughs> But she loves chocolate. And she wants to work in a chocolate house. Mmm. <laughs> the land of chocolate. I like the idea of working in a, like a chocolate house place. But I don't want to become sick of it. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I've been to like sweet factories before. I've been to a, like, a chocolate place years and years ago and I still remember. It was this tiny little chocolate, little in bespoke chocolate here um, and we were, I was on, oh, a teenager and we were on holiday, family holiday. I still remember the overpowering smell of chocolate and the first time you smell it, it's like oh, that's nice. But when you're watching the production and then you go into the gift shop, at that point you're like, I really don't want anything and I'm just buying this out of sense of obligation because it's just constant. I do know you get nose blind to it and eventually you would forget but I think, you know, the enchantment behind chocolate would be gone. Yeah. Do you know what else you'd get nose blind to? What? The poop shoot. (laughs) It would take a while though, wouldn't it? Probably would. Probably would. (laughs) Do we have an indie spotlight this week? Yes, and it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. There are no tenuous links really at all with this one. But when I saw it come across our email, um, it's from NetGalley, so it's not out yet. But when I saw it, I thought, okay, well, I have to share this. (laughs) It's important. 
It's called Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott, and it's out in September. The Yaga siblings, Bellatine and Isaac, receive a mysterious inheritance. A sentient house on chicken legs named Thistlefoot. They decide to embark on a cross-country trip with their strange gift, but violent secrets from their past follow them wherever they go. This is Baba Yaga's house. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I thought you'd like to hear about that one, so. Yes. Love a good, good Baba Yaga. Yes. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. That reminds me, I read another, I read a book, or I listened to it, and it was like, I ain't got to look up to remember what it's called. It's a, it's like a self-help book, or not a self-help, but like, it's an advice book, and um, it's called Ask Baba Yaga, Otherworldly <laughs> Advice for Everyday Troubles, and like, some of it is really meaningful, but it's people asking, like, writing into a, like, a magazine column, but they're asking Baba Yaga for help. And the audiobook was really great. Um, oh my gosh. Because Baba Yaga answered all of her questions, or all of the questions that were asked. And, you know, it was like ro- romance advice, dating advice, like what to do about this job, just ridiculous things. But then Baba Yaga answers. I'm looking at the summary on Goodreads. Yeah. Ask Baba Yaga otherworldly advice for everyday troubles by. Um, Taisha Kitasakia with a strange otherworldly style poetic clarity and striking honesty Ask Baba Yaga contains beautifully skewed wisdom to be consulted in times of need Dear Baba Yaga I think I must crave male attention too much I fear that without it I feel invisible Baba Yaga When you seek others this way you are invisible nonetheless Your shawl is covered in mirrors in which others admire themselves. This is why they greet you so passionately. It is good to be seen, but it is better to be to, to see. Find a being to look hard into, and you will see yourself and what is more than you. In old age Slavic fairy tales, the witch Baba Yaga is sought out by those with a burning need for guidance. In contemporary life, Baba Yaga, a dangerous, slippery oracle, answered earnest questions on the hairpin for years. These pages collect her most poignant, surreal, and humorous exchanges, along with all new questions and answers for those seeking that mystical advice. It sounds like one of these things where you, you know, you get um, the flip books. Like, I need a good curse, so you flip it, and you're like, hey, that's my curse. Yep. Right. This is like, I need some advice, like a magic eight ball, but, but in book forms. Yeah. And some of the advice. Baba Yaga, I need help. Some of the advice, I mean, like, or all of it, really, if you can listen past Baba Yaga giving the advice like it's good advice it's legitimate it's it's real I almost I wanted to send you one of them but the app that I read it on wouldn't like let me take a screenshot so I um I couldn't send it to you I know so you need to read it it was a quick read anyway Enough about Baba Yaga. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss A Shitload of Crazy Powers by Jackson Ford.
I'm so excited because you know whenever we talk about a Jackson Ford book that he's there. He's coming. It's the Jackson Ford time of year. I know. I'm so excited. So our annual indulgence is Jackson Rob. Gosh, I love him so much. All right. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. I almost said a poop shoot, but then I decided not to. <laughs> Reading a book whilst falling down. <laughs> poop shoot. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. And on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no ER. If you'd like this episode, check out our others and rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>